There's some things in life that we just don't understand. There's some things about life that happens in it, and if we're not careful because of our lack of understanding, it can really get us off course and really get us to a place we shouldn't be. And um, I'm going to share with you a little bit, and I've shared this before. It's nothing new that I haven't shared with you before, but whenever... Um, 20-something years ago, I was 25 years ago, when you add it up, to be accurate, I was 28 years ago, I've been, uh, I've been fatherless longer than I was with a father, and, but when I was 25 and I lost my dad, boy, for, for several years, anytime I would pray over our kids or pray over other people or pray over travels, anytime I would pray protection or something, boy, I struggled with believing God for protection. Um, the way Dad was killed and the things that took place just, man, it always created a vacuum of, of um, I believe God for it seemed like everything else, but, but that one thing, boy, I had a struggling time with how I can ask God for protection when he didn't protect my dad. And so, you know, the enemy uses things in our lives to try to bring confusion and try to bring doubt and unbelief. And so tonight I'm going I'm to go to the book of uh, Luke chapter 13 just for a minute because there is some things we will never understand. And regardless of your age or what you've experienced, there's some things you just, it just it never adds up. That two plus two never adds to four. That two plus two will add up to three or two and a half, but it never seems to add up to what it should. And, and so we begin to struggle with uh, a lot of things from time to time that don't make a lot of sense. So going to the book of Luke in chapter 13, I'm going to read something to you that Jesus used as a... Um, as a teaching moment, chapter 13 and verse 2 says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose you were these Galileans, uh, you these Galileans, oh wait a minute, read it again. Ye that are Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men? That dwell in Jerusalem. No, I tell you no. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. And what Jesus was making a point, sometimes in tragedies and things we don't understand, we begin to question God. And, and Jesus says, things happen. Things happen. Uh, I can go through the history of, of my wife and I's life about tragedy after tragedy and, and things that took place. I was listening to Robert Morris this morning, and, and he was talking about his grandfather's name was Robert um, forget the last name, but he was named after his grandfather. His grandfather helped start a church way back in the day, and and his grandfather had a couple houses that he owned, and he rented them out. And a woman and her kids rented one, and then her ex-husband was wanting to rent the other one so he could be close to his kids, so he lets him rent it. And the guy lived in the rental house for three years. Have you ever heard this story from Robert? This this man lived in the rental house for three years, and finally, uh, I don't know if it was a Sunday or what day it was, but he went over to talk to the man about. Uh, he's going to have to move out or he'll contact the authorities and have him moved out. And all of a sudden there was yelling and hollering and Robert's mother was a young girl. She heard it and her mother was in the kitchen with the windows open. She heard it and she heard a gunshot go off. So the mother took off running over there and the neighbor had shot her husband, shot Robert's grandfather, had shot him through the arm, went through, went through his abdomen. Anyway, he ended up having eight bullet holes and he was shot four, I think four different times, different things that took place. But he ended up living for 10 days, and, and that's not really the point. But, but the tragedy of it didn't make a lot of sense. 
why did it have to end that way? Why did it end that way? You know, I, I think about my father with the things that happened with him, this kind of the same scenario. Uh, and both of them's lives were taken, and it's never made sense. In the same way with this tower, there are things that happen in your life that will frustrate you, absolutely drive you insane because you can't understand them. But there's always a catch with the motivation behind someone who takes the life of someone else. And we know the motivation is not godly, it's not holy, it's not just. We know it's, uh, it's warped, it's sick, it's demented, and it's full of darkness. And today, if you've seen the news, there were two different church shootings, one in California and one in Texas. There's one in California, two people were shot, one, one of the people died, one person survived. Uh, down in Texas, I know there was at least 24 people that were shot in a church, a, a Baptist church down there. They had between 50 and 60 people there, and I know at least 24 to 27 of them have all perished. 25 or plus have also been shot. Basically, everyone in the church was at least shot or something. The pastor's 14-year-old daughter was killed. Um, in the past 11 years, there have been 18 churches in America that people have been murdered and shot within, inside the church. The motivation, a lot of times what people will say it's race-motivated, isn't racially-motivated. It's hatred-motivated because of who God is. And, and here's the thing, a lot of times we'll say, well, what kind of church was it? These have been any kind of church you could imagine. From the non-thriving to a little country church that was just barely getting by. The one in Texas had 50 to 60 people. The one in California, I'm not sure about. But other churches, some were large, some were small. Here's the thing. There is a battle going on. And whether we recognize it or not, it is. And the day in which we live, it is something that's common. We do some things here at this church that a lot of churches don't do. And not that we could stop anything that came in, but... We do have protection going on in the church in different locations and people in the building. And I'm going to tell you this, if you leave this sanctuary, I don't care who you are, if you walk through these doors and you go out, somebody's going to ask you what you need if you don't go straight to the bathroom and back. Simply because uh, all the doors are locked when we come in except these two here. And we do things for prevention, not that we can fix everything, but we sure want to prohibit anything that could go wrong here at the church. So if you go out, don't you get your feelings hurt and get all feathered up because somebody stops you and asks you if they can help you, what did you need? Is that clear? We do it for a reason. Um, you know, this morning we are talking to James 1 about uh, wisdom. What is wisdom? It comes from experience. And when we see things like this that's happened in Texas and, and California, we need to take precautions. Now let's bring that to our homes. Each and every one of us need to do the same things with our homes. We need to protect our home. It needs to be a sanctuary. I'm not telling everybody they need to start packing pistols. I don't need, we don't need every woman and every man in here. Okay, yeah, we do need everyone. No, I'm just going but, but, but there are things we need to do with wisdom. And Scripture talks about the day in which we live. And that's what I'm going to go over with you tonight. I'm going to share some different, some different passages. And, and, you know, it, it's not something that should, ne should necessarily take us uh, by surprise. But it's something that's a reality of our, the element in which we live. If you want to go back in the history of the church, um, Christianity is not just suffering things politically today. It's suffered things politically for years. Uh, Christianity has been a mandated thing. Some kings, if you weren't Christian, then they would kill you. It was mandated. You know, At least we're not to that place. I would not want, I'm going to be honest with you, I do not want to mandate everybody in, in the county of, of uh, Stoddard County to be full gospel Pentecostal, Assembly of God, Baptist, Lutheran. I don't want to mandate anything because when things are mandated, it's non-responsive. It's not life-changing. We know the power of the cross took place because when the soldier, soldier looked up and said, wow, this man must have is truly the Son of God. Why? Because he had an encounter, and that's what we want to happen. 
So tonight I'm going to go some different places in Scripture that it may not always clarify, but I do want us to understand that uh, the things that are going on are are spiritual. They just really are. And this is becoming a huge thing in America. Some of you will remember, some of you won't remember because you were too young, but how many of you can remember the 90s? <clears throat> some of you can, but you did not put your hand up. But you can remember the 90s. Back in the later part of the 90s, probably like 95, 96, there was like 30-something churches burnt down in the South especially. And most, a lot of those were racially motivated. Some of them were drug motivated. You know how I know that some of them were drug motivated? Because the ch church we pastored in Kentucky was burnt during that same period. Some drug dealers didn't like us there, and they come in and torch their church and burn it down. So, I mean, I've got some stories, but, but this kind of like, this kind of evil has waves of the way it does things. We know in America we have this epidemic of drugs. It's unbelievable. And it's amazing that people bat an eye out and act like it's not a big deal. It's huge. And it's taking people to hell. It's all it's doing. It's a, it's a fast train to a place you don't want to be. And, and these are kind of waves of things that hit. And so now we're having things where people are wanting to go in and not just shoot the masses at a, at a country music concert, but now they're wanting to go to a place that people are looking for refuge. People are looking for wisdom. People are looking for direction. They're coming in to disrupt it. Now, if we want to go to the book of John, we will be in just a few minutes. We know that Satan always comes in to disrupt. And I want you to stay with me because every one of us in this room face things that disrupt the way it should be. It can be from a family member to ourselves to something that maybe we allow in that can disrupt. I'd like you to go to Matthew 9, if you will. I know this is completely different than Sunday morning, but uh, this is the thing that I felt like I needed to share tonight. Matthew chapter 9. There were so many ways to look at this and so many passages, even when I was sitting here, all these other things were running through my head to talk about, but I'm going to stick with, try to stick with what I, I've got prepared and I want to share it with you. But in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. Here's the thing that always happens when Satan raises his head. Anytime he does, he tries to scatter the sheep. That's his goal. That's what he does. If you're a turkey hunter in here and it's in the fall and you don't get gobblers to respond to a, to a hen call, what you want to do in the fall when you see a flock of turkeys, what do you want to do? You want to bust them up. Because what happens when you bust a big flock up and they all go different directions, then you can go set up in the general area where they were just busted up and you can just start calcing, kind of calling about like purring or feeding call, whatever you can do if you're good at that kind of stuff, which uh I'm not so hot, but I've tried. Anyway, you break them up, and once you get them scattered, you go get right back in the center where they were, and you try to get them to all come back. Why? So you can kill them. Satan always tries to scatter things to bring death. That's the way he works. That's how he's always worked. And could you imagine tonight in this church if we had had one of these episodes that took place here this morning? How would people have felt about coming to service tonight? They would have been apprehensive. Why? Because the enemy come in to scatter. He come in to do something to cause them to go different places. I can just, I hate to even try to imagine what that church is experiencing. Matter of fact, the, the one in Arlington, they, just a little while ago, they, they didn't even let them remove the bodies. People had been there all day long. What a horrible thing for a church to go through. What a horrible thing. And that's exactly how Satan operates. But here's how God works. God is moved when he sees multitudes he has compassion on them 
Because sometimes we may get scattered, we may get faint, we may get discouraged, but he tries to move in our lives to bring direction back into our life. Go to Matthew, if you will, chapter 26. Matthew 26 and uh, verse 31. And Jesus said, then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. You may wonder what that has to do with anything but let me talk to you just, just for a second about your leadership and the importance of your leadership in your family. I know that whenever my father was killed, all the dynamics of my household changed. Everything was different. Going home wasn't the same. We lived at that time in, in, the, in Illinois, in northern Illinois, Peoria. And going home to visit my mother, had, there was nothing, nothing offensive to my mother, but I didn't want to go home. When I went home, there was something missing. There was something empty. Satan always tries to create a vacuum by his disasters. When the tower fell there in Luke 13 and 18 people were killed, how many people went home that day and there was a vacuum, there was an emptiness in their household? Stay with me. Is this making any sense? Whenever you go through tragedies and things, there's always a vacuum of something that's been removed. And it's the same way with these churches in the day in which we live. There is a vacuum that Satan is trying to go in and cause a disruption so that people will quit. People will get discouraged. People will get into the place of thinking like I used to. How can I pray for protection? How can I pray for God's direction? How can I do these things? But here's the scenario. From the beginning in, the act, in a Genesis chapter 3, whenever Adam and Eve fell, there has always been consequences to people's decisions, like it or not. And we are the products of other people's failures at times and other people's decisions. So it doesn't mean we go through life blaming everybody, pointing at everybody else, because we've all had things that happen. And this scenario out there, yeah, we can specifically pull out the shooter, shooter but it's something we have to get past. In the book of John, chapter 10 and verse 10, is something we read all the time. And uh, I'm just going to make reference to it. It's not a prosperity message, but it is a message about who tries to destroy what God wants to do. And regardless of the sizes of those churches, we know there was people who had a heart for him and had a desire to follow him. So in John 10, 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for what? To steal, kill, and destroy. Why did that guy go in to shoot those people in the church? Did he have a, a, a vendetta against them? Was he mad at someone? Did they ask him to step down? Did they ask him to get out? Did they tell him they offend him sometime when he came in? I don't know what they'd done, but something took place, or he had resentment toward the pastor maybe. I don't know. But something went on in there, and he went in there and began to kill people for the reason we don't know. But we know that the enemy himself came to destroy anything that could have brought there. Uh, Satan brought confusion. Jesus brought direction. What is the purpose of scattering the sheep? To lose their support. To do, make people vulnerable to things that never should have happened in their life. Go to Matthew, if you will, in chapter 10. There's going to be several passages to this. Chapter 10 and verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And I'm going to stop here for just a second. If there's anything that we need to have that's one of the weapons in our arsenal, I believe it is a key in this verse. It says, be as wise as a serpent but harmless as a dove. 
and in the life of every believer and every mature believer, we need to have the wisdom of God in things that we do, the reasons we do them, how we operate in them. I mentioned earlier we have some things in place here to try to protect this church, protect the nursery. We have, a, and believe it or not, there's escape routes from the nursery, escape routes from our kids' church. There's ways to get out of here, that door, that door. So, uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, but uh, we try to do things with wisdom to try to design things that would bring protection. But that is the key verse to everything we're about to read. Wise, insightful, prevention. Ascension among wolves, wise as a servant, harmless dove. Be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you up, take no thought of how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given to you in that same hour that you speak. For it shall not, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver a brother to death, and father the child. And children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in the city, flee you to another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man shall come. And I'm going to leave it right there, and that's where we're going to stop. But I want to focus on one thing with this. It talks about deception in the last days. Today, Elayton and Miranda were at the house, and we'd had lunch, and Elayton was playing a Clayton Jennings video. We were listening to, I guess, podcast or something, one of the messages. And he was talking about the effects of uh, things that infiltrate the church, and it causes uh, confusion in the church. And, you know, I'm a firm, firm, big promoter of grace and mercy because I believe in God's grace and His mercy, but not to the expense that sin is winked at and sin is embraced. Whatever is right is right. Whatever is wrong is wrong. And, and in, in the, the other day in our men's breakfast, those of you who were here, you, Billy Ferguson brought up a point about a pastor of a church. And when this pastor was being interviewed, and they asked him, do you think that abortion is wrong? And, and he said, well, you know, we don't make judgments like that. You know, we, we don't make judgments. We want to wait first and talk to the person and see the circumstances. Let me tell you this. There are certain things, regardless of grace and mercy that God gives after the fact, there are certain things that we cannot allow, and I'm not trying to be mean, we cannot allow certain things coming to the church just like a gunman. We can't allow certain things to come in here that abolish the foundation of who we are and who the Lord is and what Christ went through the Calvary for, period. So that needs to be something that's really clear. Often we think of the attacks from the world as oftentimes just guns and bullets and people talking. But that's not the issue. The issue is spiritual. There are things even doctrinally we have to hang on to and embrace and, and keep as a paramount thing in our church. Are, are you with me on that? Could you imagine what happens? And what? Let me ask you, what does happen to a church that begins to falter in their morality and their values? They crumble and this flock gets scattered. Because they no longer know what they believe. They don't no longer have any direction to what they believe and why they believe it. You will be hated for your stand. And I think that's another thing that a lot of people are offended. And let me, let me interject this, and I've tried to reiterate this a lot over the past couple of years. But uh, just because you're a believer doesn't give you a superior thought life. It doesn't give you all knowledge and it doesn't give you all the answers for everybody else's issues. It doesn't make you any better than the Muslim. It doesn't make you any better than someone who's in the meditation or anything else. What it does is gives you grace for you to recognize who you need. And the problem we've had with a lot of us in Christianity at times, and I'm not saying there's any other way because there is no other way but then through the cross. 
Don't, don't cloud that up. But because of arrogance within Christianity, a lot of people have been turned off to our faith and who we are and what we stand for. Does that make sense? A lot of people have. So we don't use this as prideful arrogance. But one thing that we have to do, the world will hate us because of what we stand for. What happened with this pastor is he was afraid to make a statement. Because he was afraid the statement he made would be put on what? TV, radio, every type of media there is. And he would be drunk, drugged through the bottom of the sewers. I would hate, I would hate to be someone who's in the national limelight as a pastor. Especially over the past 40 years when we've seen so many things that have horrible has happened in the ministry. They are looked at and scrutinized for everything that they do. And there's no way I would want to be a Joel Osteen. There's no way I would want to be, I'll be careful on anybody else to say, because whatever. Uh, but the key thing is, we, people will be offended because of us, because of our stand. And if your passion for Christ, people want to understand it. If you go to the book of Acts chapter 4, we're going to stay here just for a few minutes. Because in the book of Acts is after Pentecost. And, and we begin to see what God was doing in people's lives. But people were still offended. And Jesus said, you will be hated because of me. People are not going to understand you. They're going to think you're nuts. They're going to think you're whatever. But in the book of Acts chapter 4, we have a, 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 an application in the life of Peter. We had some things that went on in his life earlier, which was great failures, and he felt so short. But in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 1 is where we're going to start. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them. Let me stop here for just a minute, because I'm going to tell you, let me tell you individually. I'm going to break this away from the church. I want you to, talk, I want you to recognize this as an individual. Anytime you begin to experience success, there will be people that try to steal your success. I'm going to say that again. Anytime you began to experience success over an addiction, over an attitude, over an old belief, over a bad relationship, anytime you begin to thrive and you begin to succeed, there will be somebody that tries to steal your success. That's how Satan is. Because Satan comes in to do what? Absolutely. Does he want to steal from the poorest person in the county? No. Does he, Gil? I'm going to tell a little story. I hope you don't get mad at me for sharing this, but Gil was sharing with me earlier that him and his wife went up to their cabin to have a place up by Tom Salk area up there by uh, um, Ironton. That's it. Up by Ironton, Pilot Knob, that area. And they went up to their place the other day, and their gate was cut. And you know when you have a gate that goes up or a cable that goes up to your property and the gate's down, you know that there's probably going to be a problem. They drove on back there, got to their house, and he goes, oh, I hope nobody found everything. He gets there, they found everything. Kitchen cabinets. Every tool, generator, pots, pans, I think pictures, about anything they had in there, it was all taken. What was the purpose of that person? A variety, drugs mainly, but, but here's the deal. Satan always operates to take away what God wants to bless you with. That's how he works. And in this passage, as we look at this in the book of Acts, people are beginning to step out. And as they spake, let me just read it. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Isn't that awesome? And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day. Now it was evening time. In other words, the next day it was late in the evening. Howbeit many of them which had heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000, and one day came to Christ. Now, folks, we got persecution going here. We got things that people didn't like about Peter, and we sure didn't like his fire and his enthusiasm about who Jesus was. And now they got him in jail, and here's him and John, 
And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, Caiaphas and John and, and Alexander and as many as that were kindred to the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, you got to love Peter. I mean, you got to love this guy. This simple guy, he was from the hills of Kentucky. He went barefoot most of his life. He could catch crappie with Jason Sandage. He could just do it. That's how he was. He, he's a, he was a man. He wasn't an educator. He wasn't a teacher. He was this dude that stands up with his toothpick in his mouth, a hangnail on his big toe, and he had chapped up feet. And he stood up and said, let me tell you. No, I'm just putting that all together for whatever. And, and then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost, and said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, the Jews, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, what means is he made whole? And if it be known unto all you and all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you healed and whole. This is the stone which was, was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were not very professional, they seen the toothpick, they seen the overalls, and the knees were out with the patches. Are you getting the image of here of what Peter and John were? They weren't the polished person, but they were the effective one. Now, that is extremely important in your life and mine. God is not looking for that polished stone. He's looking for the rock that's in the creek that keeps getting tumbled, getting those edges knocked off. We know that Peter wasn't perfect because he just denied the Lord three times within a few hours. We know that John wasn't and the other disciples weren't either because they all ran and hid. So here we have a great battle going on, but there's a boldness that took place. And you may wonder what this has to do with out west. In the face of persecution... Whether arrested, whether accused, whether whatever, we stand strong in our faith. I don't want to be a martyr. I don't want to die. I don't want somebody to come in here and do something. I don't want it. But I sure want to be found faithful in the midst of whatever took place. And I think it's so admirable that so many people have survived so many terrible things over the years because of their commitment to Christ. Let me go in a little bit farther. Let's jump over to chapter 5. I'm going to be done in like five minutes. In the book of Acts in chapter 5 and verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest durst not join. In other words, they were not about to join himself to them. But the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and they laid them on the beds and couches, and that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folk unto them which were vexed and unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Who was being offended? It wasn't those with the need, it was the religious ones. How many people so often get offended at things are those that are religious? And I know the church goes through a lot of things because we've self-inflicted some things. But the thing that's so awesome about this passage is the exact same things we heard was happening in the life of Christ is now happening in the lives of the believers. 
And how critical is that in your life and mine? And regardless of the persecution, regardless of the threats, regardless of what may be going on on the outside in the church, we need to see Christ performing things like he did before through us. I don't know about the shadow thing. I don't like the blowing on people. I don't like doing this and everybody falling over. That's not my thing. I don't care for that. Not even that much. None. But I do care for the power of God working in people's lives. And when God and when Jesus and the manifestations of his healing and his miracles and things begin to take place, people will recognize and so does the enemy. And when the enemy, this is what happens. When the enemy begins to see a move in a, in a country, he tries to go in and steal it. Let's, let's go back in time. World War II, we had a scenario going on for about 10 years over in Germany. 15 years, a guy was coming to power by the name of Adolf Hitler, and he knew to be able to control that whole country, he had to get into the school system and begin to indoctrinate kids on the way they should think. Are you with me? And as he began to monopolize upon the way the younger people thought, he began to turn a whole country's heart. And as he turned them the way he went, this was spiritual, he turned them against the Jews. Regardless of their success, the Jews, and regardless of the blessing they had experienced in all over that part of Europe, there was an enemy that came in to try to destroy it. And we're going to close. We made this kind of a big thing that has happened in these churches. But the Bible says that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you're born again, He dwells within you. And this is what I want you to be aware of. We may never face the things these churches have, but I'm going to tell you something that every believer in this room is going to face. You're going to face things in your own temple. You're going to face things that try to break into your mind, the way you think, the way you justify, the way you rationalize things. And friend, if you are not full of the Holy Spirit, and you are not full of your passion, and let me just interject this. Every believer, I want to see them filled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Every one of them. I don't want you to be filled because you hear somebody tell you what to say. That is baloney. I believe that half the people that I've ever met that say they're filled with the Spirit have never been in such a presence of the Lord that He actually filled them. I could go on and on, but if you go to Pentecost, there wasn't a bunch of anything unlearned. They just went there and they began to pray. And as they prayed, the Spirit of the Lord began to move. And on the day of Pentecost, and He swept through the place, and cloven tongues of fire came. Do we still have cloven tongues of fire? No, but we still see the Holy Ghost move the same way. And this is where it has to be private. I'm talking to you about this church. This individual church, not this church, you as an individual, you need him working in your life in ways you never have seen him before. And you don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we think, oh, you know, it's just kind of freaky, you know, it's just weird. Is it weird? Is it weird that you embrace the cross? Is it weird that you embrace the, the creator, the father? Then why is it weird that you, you have a hard time accepting a gift that the Holy Spirit has? And that gift isn't so you speak in tongues. That's the biggest misconception about the infilling. That was just a sign. That was like a stamp. You go into Kings Island or, or Six Flags. That was just a stamp that something just happened. That's it. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower you. That you can become like Peter. When you're brought and you've been arrested and you've been threatened. If you go to chapter 6, they begin to be threatened. And there you see, if you'll study the book of Acts, you begin to see the same things that are happening today in churches being attacked were already happening in the first century church. Matter of fact, if you really study it, there's a lot of things that took place. It was the religious. This is not religious that's attacking the churches today. It's the political system that we live in. And it's also a variety of other things I won't get into. But friend, the church that you need to be aware of is your individual. And you better protect it. And you better guard it.
You better guard it. I think I'm done. I'm going to go to the back page. <clears throat> Second Timothy 3 says, In the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves and pleasures of this world more than they are lovers of God. There's other passages that said that men will be more in love with, with uh, pleasures than anything else. And, and if you're not careful, that's so easy to get caught up in. There's nothing wrong with having things, but you've heard people say this, but there is something wrong with things having you. I'm going to say that again, because things can have you from the smallest thing. You don't have to have a whole lot of money for your things to own you. You don't. I'm almost done. Um, I'm going to close with Daniel, and I promise you I'm done with this. I do encourage you to be praying for your church. I do encourage you to stand in the gap and pray for a variety of things, for God's protection, His Holy Spirit to anoint this place, that people's lives will be completely changed. But let me just close with Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. You know the most powerful part about this passage? Listen. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Verse 9. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the day of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that shall make desolate set up, that's the image of the Antichrist, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of days." And exactly what that means is this. You're going to be accountable when you die. And you better be ready when the day happens. Absolutely correct, right? Is anybody here mad? Is anybody here happy? Hopefully you're challenged. We can look at the church as a whole, but friends, we have to look at the church as an individual. Because we're always getting bombarded with things that try to discourage. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to find something to play there, guys. Get it ready to go. You ready? All right, we're going to pray. You know, it's sad to see the things that's happened. It's horrible. It is, but you know what else is just as horrible as when we go to church all the time and nothing changes in here. Same tragedy. I ask you to bow your heads. Boy, I've said this so many times over the past three years. God is not looking for perfection, but He is looking for honesty. And when honesty is not a priority, dishonesty will always prevail. And friend, you can come here every service, lift up your hands, and go through the motions. But if you're not being super honest, but not with the pastor, not with your teacher, but if you're not being honest with the Lord, your temple is being invaded and your life is being taken away. Father, I ask you tonight, 
to deal with us as an individual church, an individual temple, temple of the Holy Ghost, a temple, Lord, that your spirit and your presence dwells, that you have a desire to draw us and lead us and educate and teach us and help us to experience the good blessings and the good things. But Father, I pray that no life will be scattered. Regardless of what tries to enter, we'll have our focus, we'll have wisdom, we'll have direction. And yes, we may be hated, but Father, help us to love you with all that's within us. And I pray your hand, Lord, upon every heart, every mind. And it's in the name of Jesus we believe. And everyone says, Amen.